Welcome to Hadar's Web, a podcast featuring community conversations on spirituality, healing, justice, and art. My name is Hadar Cohen. I am your host, and I am delighted to invite you to my relational web. Today's guest is Diana Gerard. She is the founder of Magic Dates, a better-for-you snack company that uses dates as a symbol of cultural connection. Our vision is to share about our rich MENA culture, its food, people, and wisdom. Welcome, Diana. Thank you. I had a bit of a debate with um, some like founders in the food space of whether it's MENA or MENA, mm. and then you just said MENA. And a lot of them were saying Mina, and it's like, oh, the debate continues. <laughs> oh, wow. I didn't even know about this debate. What What does that mean about me that I said Mena? Nothing. It's just, I think it's a new, like new language and new terminology. Yeah. It's not really very, like obviously prevalent and popular. And so I think it just speaks to how little is known about the Mena slash Mina. <laughs> totally. <laughs> and it is, you know, it is actually kind of funny because there's so many conversations that we want to have about that region, but I feel like so often we just get blocked around what we call it yeah because some people don't even like mena or mina and they're like let's use this term swana yeah and that term is also then other people are like well we don't like that term yeah. <laughs> you know yeah. so that region over there <laughs> <laughs> yeah exactly oh far away where we don't know what's happening there <laughs> over there you call it whatever you want and the when they say a rose by any other name <laughs> it's yeah. still a rose whatever you want to call it <laughs> yeah um well, I'm so happy to have you here, and I like to start out my podcast by asking people how they know me and how we connected, because the podcast really highlights relationships and friendships, mm -hmm. and I feel so blessed to have you in my life. It's been so enriching to have our friendship grow and deepen um, since we met, yeah. but yeah, how did we meet? I feel like when I met you, my heart was like, I know you. <laughs> We've just known each other for so long. I feel like you know, on a soul level, yeah. I really do feel that way. There was just such a familiarity um, and such a, like a depth and knowing like so early on. Um, I connected with you through my friend, Janan. And Who I we love. Janan, <laughs> shout out. And she and I were working on some campaigns for magic dates, like during the holidays. This was only a few months ago. And I somehow your topic came up because I think I saw a photo of the two of you. And I also remember seeing you after the show, um, after Rami, and kind of listening to what you had to say. And my husband and I were just like, you know, so just enamored and interested in what your what your uh, point of point of you know perception is. And so I kind of just brought him like, oh, I love her. I mentioned to Janan, and she's like, she's my friend. Like I can introduce you. I'm like, really? I'm like, it's so weird to like see people online and then like be able to meet them. And you happen to be in LA. You sort of set, settled here recently. Yeah. Settled ish. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Never settled. <laughs> yeah. And so she connected us, I think, via text or WhatsApp or something. And then you and I just had a, met up that Sunday, like three or four days later, right away. And we were supposed to meet up for brunch for like an hour and then five hours later. I know we had our epic five hour brunch. <laughs> we were still there just talking about everything. Yeah. And it just time just flowed. And we really did talk about everything, actually. <laughs> yes, we can talk about the rest now. <laughs> yeah, and I remember when I met you, yeah, I just felt so moved by who you are as a person, first of all, but also your story. And um, yeah, I feel so much, when I think of you, I think of so much like 
preserve what's the word i was gonna say preservation but preservance Pres right preserve the fruits and vegetables <laughs> <laughs> exactly pickles. Yeah, that's exactly what i thought of pickles when i thought of you no but i just you know i felt like and especially you know coming from our region and especially being a woman and being a dedicated woman who's also wanting to be an entrepreneur and wanting to be successful and wanting to be in her femininity and you know wanting to be of her tradition and of her culture mm -hmm. but not let you know the the trauma kind of take you down mm -hmm. and I feel like through your life journey you really found this beautiful path for yourself that's so inspiring so we'd love to just ask you yeah a little bit more to share about that about where you come from what's been your story and yeah um so I was born in Damascus Syria my mom is Syrian uh, my dad's Palestinian he his family you know, were refugees from Palestine in, in 48. And they went to um, Kuwait first and then Lebanon just moved around just like a kind of traditional story that you hear and eventually settled in Syria after the civil war in Lebanon. So then that's where my, my parents met. And I spent the first almost 12 years of my life in Damascus. So I definitely have not only childhood memories, but very much preserved <laughs> memories <laughs> <laughs> um, of my time there and just of the relative peace. I mean, people can't imagine these days because I feel like they've only heard about Syria in the context of the civil war. And they always imagine that maybe things were percolating beforehand that like caused that. But in reality, it was a very peaceful um, existence aside from all the, you know, like local politics and like dictatorship and all that, like BS yeah. that definitely exists, you know, in every probably country in the Middle East. Regardless, it was just a very you know, kind of warm and like happy place. And my family and I immigrated to Canada together um, to Toronto because after all, just being in a region where we felt limited by economic opportunities or my my parents felt that way. And also for the sake of our education, in order for us to be in good schools, both my brothers and I, um, private schools are so expensive. And, you know, in Syria, the school that I was in, you know, particularly um, through basically fifth grade when I was living there, and so they just realized that if they're going to give the same opportunities to my brothers, it was just not feasible. And Canada kind of came, came kind of came to be as an idea. And we immigrated to Toronto um, in 1997. And I was there for a few years, maybe about seven or eight years. So basically my like middle school, high school, like teenage years I spent there. Um, and I would say that was probably like the happiest time of our lives for like my entire family. Um my brothers grew up there and even it's kind of interesting my brothers are younger than me they were five and seven when we moved to Canada but still somehow speak fluent Arabic so I'm really mm. kind of grateful that they were able to preserve preserve their you know culture and roots through like language I feel like language and food are such strong preservers of you know our origins and um, then I had a little stint in Saudi Arabia because my dad had moved there for work and then he wanted me and my family like my mom and my brothers to move there with him um, once I was finished with high school and it was a really challenging year because I felt like my soul just always wanted to burst in freedom just like ever since mm -hmm. I was a child and then Saudi Arabia is the place to um, you know quell that, <laughs> quell that. <laughs> I know it's changing now, now. <laughs> um, but at the time it was definitely very challenging you know to, to be there and have so many freedoms be limited and just like movement just like mm -hmm. mobility I mean just like the very basic freedoms that we take for granted here 
Um, so I didn't last very long. <laughs> I moved here when I was 19. And at the time I had like a family friend who I'd been, um, like I had a crush on this like, you know, family friend since I was a kid and he would like visit us in Syria all the time. He was living in the US at the time and he would come for my birthdays, not for my birthdays, but my birthdays in the summer. And he happened to be, you know, in, in LA now, that's where he and his family just had settled a long time ago. Um, and so I came to like be with him here and that's how, that's what brought me to, to LA and just have been here ever since. And you came out here alone. Yes. I came out here on my own and I just, I, I mean, it was like no thought, you know, when you just want your like freedom, I feel like yeah. as a woman or as any person who's just like bursting with energy and wanting to explore not only life but like yourself and just like you want all the unknown um there wasn't even a second thought mm -hmm. like I feel like there was no fear I can't even think of it and I mean I'm, I'm afraid of a lot of things but at the time there was no fear there was just so much more excitement that overshadowed like any fear or like hesitation yeah and I feel like when you first told me your story what I felt was that you were so guided by your own intuition mm -hmm. your own inner knowing you know, from whatever circumstances you were in, there was a way in which there was this inner voice or even you could say this divine voice that mm -hmm. was like pulling you. So maybe that's part of the no fear. But mm -hmm. yeah, I'm curious if that's something that you feel like you've always had or it kind of came upon you or something you cultivated and developed. Mm -hmm. or... I feel like it was a very natural thing. My husband, and I joke about that because we met maybe 12 years ago and I was always like very just trusting in that in like the path. And I actually lost that a little bit and I'm trying to regain that more so. And I mm -hmm. have like moments of that. And I would say overall, that's still the space that I live in. However, when things become challenging, it's really hard to stay in that space. Whereas back then, I think I just had less self-awareness actually. So I think it was more that it was like less self-awareness. And so I wasn't even aware, maybe there was fear there that I wasn't even you know aware of but I was like so focused on what I wanted to get and do and like the end result of like wanting to leave and like have that or like experience that freedom um that I didn't allow anything else to come in so I think it's interesting that you say maybe it was an inner like listening I think there was also some inner, inner voice that maybe could have told me to be afraid but I like shut that part down yeah. And so it's sometimes hard to distinguish between like fear and intuition. Mm. And so at the time I shut something down. So I don't know if it was intuition or fear. It was probably fear because I feel like things transpire in a way that are like positive and I'm like grateful for. And I just like to reclaim a little bit of that. It's almost like a naivety. I don't know. Mm. And it's like, and, and I don't say it in like a negative way. I feel like there's a certain naivety that's like, like a childlike um, desire to just, to, to like trust and like play and I feel like that puts you in this like good vibration that then yeah. somehow attracts those things in a way not getting overly analytical and like overly thinking about things often our mind creates problems and it can't be also the mind that like fixes those problems because it's just like this like rumination so that's a very long-winded way definitely <laughs> I know I, I love that because I think there is such a you know this we're constantly battling between our fear and our intuition and what we truly want and are we clouded by fear and you know like I definitely you know growing up in Jerusalem feel like everyone around me was so scared all the time and like fine sometimes there's reasons to be scared 100% but just the culture of fear was mm -hmm. so strong and I think for me so much of my process was like I don't want to be that way 
I don't want I don't want fear to rule my heart. I don't want fear to rule my life. I want I know that there's something greater for me beyond this just trapped in fear mindset. Mm-hmm. Um and, and and that has to start with this connection to yourself because where else are you gonna find it if not from the inside? And mm-hmm. um I think that's why I connected so much to you because I feel like I really saw that parallel, especially, you know, kind of being a younger child and being like I know in my bones that there's something greater meant for me mm-hmm. than mm-hmm. perhaps my current reality. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and feeling limited by that current reality, like recognizing. I think that's the biggest thing is maybe you don't know exactly where you want to go, but just knowing that it's not here. Yeah. Or it's not entirely here. I think sometimes we need to go far away to come back to a certain space that is home. Not, it's not to say there's anything wrong with like what home is, whether it's a place or an internal space or, or an environment, whatever that might be. But I found myself for like, you know, years, I would say like a couple of decades, just like searching in essence, mm-hmm. and then finding the things I desired and allowing that to come into my life, but then also going back to some rootedness that was always there at the same time. And it tends to be culture, family, community, and not to say, not to say culture in a limiting way, not to say that it's like just my Syrian culture or just like having grown up muslim which it's it's not that it's just whatever it is to you whatever yeah. that experience was it's just maybe the home even like your immediate home family um things that bring you comfort but then we also don't want to get stuck in that space too much there's so much paradox yeah <laughs> that's definitely. what is. i feel like i'm always fighting the parrot like the paradox yeah the living in this between which i always talk about how that's the heart of mysticism is learning mm-hmm. how to hold the both ends because mm-hmm. we're always mm-hmm. trying to do or this or that mm-hmm. you know this thing is right and that thing's wrong but but what if it was just like both and this yeah. thing and that thing yeah. you know yeah. and shifting from the or to the and yeah. is actually yeah quite the spiritual process yeah and the but there's always yeah. the but and the and are such like powerful words yeah i took improv classes a few years ago and there's a concept called yes and mm-hmm in improv and it's actually how you collaborate with your like co-creators because yeah like on stage like with the actors because you don't have anything prepared and the concept that allows for the co-creation is that yes and concept so for example you go up there and then you're acting like it's like a crime scene so now I come up and I have to yes and you by adding to that scene yeah rather than negating the reality you just created in order for us to actually create something that's believable Imagine if we did that politically. <laughs> yes. And I think it's just what we do is but. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, yeah. so the, the converse, I think, of the yes and is the but. Yeah. But, 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 but. And like that, like what, what the whataboutism type thing where it's like yeah. there's always like this like combativeness. And that's, we, I mean, we all do it. Like it, it, it's not, we're not, nobody's absolved of this like egotistical need to like prove oneself. But I think, but <laughs> I mm. think the courage really comes into play when you allow yourself to put that aside and say okay like what am I not wanting to listen to and like hear yeah I love that and I want to come back to this question of home because obviously that is such a deep question in so many ways but you know you've lived in so many places you've also traveled a lot meeting so many different people different experiences but I'm also just like struck yeah you know being Palestinian being from Damascus, Lebanon, which, you know, is also part of the journey and like Saudi, Toronto, LA, like, how do you think of home? Is there like one particular home that feels like the most home or how do you, mm-hmm. yeah, I mean, especially being a Palestinian in exile, like, mm-hmm. 
I mean, yeah, I just would love to hear a little bit more of how you think of this question mm -hmm. of home. It sounds like a Drake song. Like <laughs> Toronto, LA. <laughs> like I'm in a Drake rap song. Um, that's yeah, that's really interesting. And I've thought about that a lot. I I feel like I've always thought that home is where you've been the longest. And I think maybe Toronto felt like home for a long time. I think Toronto still feels like home. I think it's where I had the most positive hmm. feelings. That's what it feels like to me is like what feeling comes up when you think about a place and it's either this like lightness or it's like maybe a darkness or maybe just like vagueness and Toronto just always feels like a lightness like a comfortable and that's where my family still lives yeah my mom and my brothers live there so when I visit I visit home you know they're there so it's also like in the language however I've also been here in LA for almost 20 years and I've I've made I've created a home here because of I think like the love that I've cultivated also mm -hmm. with like a newfound community that it's not just a community that I'm born into, whether it's like, you know, family, like bloodline or cultural, but it's like the ones that I've chosen and attracted, maybe not co cognitively chosen, you know, in certain respects, but attracted, but also just having like the love here. Yeah. So I feel like just anywhere my husband and I are together, like is ultimately home because now we're creating that new space for our like future um you know family and just like how we're gonna our expansion yeah and whatnot so I, I think it's both it's really honestly hard to choose whether it's Toronto or LA what about Palestine I've never lived there I, tr I truly I mean even though I know I think you want me to say <laughs> home because it's a romantic like idea and and of course I advocate for my people all the time and we've had these conversations a lot and that's like why we've connected so much yeah obviously just you being rooted in Jerusalem being an Arab Jewish woman and then me being you know like Muslim Palestinian yet we see eye to eye and like that just takes the amount of courage that takes to be able to see eye to eye uh, particularly from your end yet Palestine does not necessarily feel like home to me I've never lived there I don't I don't have roots there but I think about my grandparents and I wish I got more of their stories before they passed on to really understand what their experience was like. And so I think I've been asked that question. It's like, if you were able, ever able to return, like right yeah. of return, would you? And it's like, I probably wouldn't. It's not for me. Like, it's not for me. It's, it's a space for someone else. There have been people there that have been struggling and suffering and fighting for, for decades and that's a home for them. Mm. So I feel like my family made a choice you know, to leave. And we're very fortunate to like have a home somewhere else. And I don't want to claim someone else's home. Yeah. 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 Wow. And yeah, you know, I think we talk a lot about Palestine and Jewishness. And, you know, I think I was also, yeah, especially being an Arab Jewish woman and meeting different Arab Muslim women. It's like, sometimes they're very put off guard by mm -hmm. hearing about Arab Jewish perspectives, but I feel like you were so open and welcoming and wanting and desiring that and also knowing stuff and and just hearing about your journey especially around meeting Jewish people being in Jewish community um yeah I'm curious if you could share a little bit about that about what that was like mm -hmm. I mean we always joke that you have more in LA <laughs> yeah. you have more Jewish friends and I have more Palestinian friends yeah, here in LA, we gotta connect our community <laughs> yeah. yeah but what was that like you know like when you first started meeting Jews for the first time or, you know, understanding, kind of crossing that 
mm-hmm. boundary that was yeah been placed there I think initially for me it wasn't contentious at all just because I wasn't very politically inclined and so it's like yes I was born into you know certain like heritage and culture I just didn't necessarily engage in it as much as I like could have and this is I'm saying like as a teenager yeah like early 20s um and so things just kind of happened organically because I live in a city where there are a lot of Jewish people and it's just a very easy um, community to come across. Um, and then it evolved into more of a curiosity because of course, then you have personal experiences, you know, you start building friendships, um, you know, you, you like date people romantically, like different things happen where you become more curious about why there is such a divide. It's not, it's not a question I've ever had to ask myself before. I feel like sometimes you have to feel something in order to really care about it. And so it was never something that was really in my periphery to like feel it wasn't, it hadn't impacted me on an emotional level um, up until actually, you know, building friendships and like building relationships. And so that's, I think when the curiosity flourished more and like kicked in and the curiosity led me to embrace the culture more rather than like detest or, I mean, that's, I don't even know how you like, learn that I can't even tell you like what that is it's just I just have a natural curiosity I'm so damn curious about like everything and just kind of like asking questions actually my best friend and my husband joke around about that it's like a million questions but I'm just genuinely curious what people are up to not all the time I also need like my downtime and I want to relax but I'm just curious about people's perspectives and like I mean we have this like one life to live and we make choices and I'm just always questioning and that was part of the reason why I seek like so much freedom so early on as, 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 a, as a child. So I think some of it has got to be hereditary. Mm. You know, I think my dad is very curious. So some of it has got to be just innate. And there's, I feel like this became the, 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 the topic that one, as a Palestinian woman or a Jewish woman, that like one would be so curious about because of now like learning about the background, like oh, everything. I've had to actually like learn things from the get-go because I didn't want to come into it with this bias that, well, just because I'm Palestinian, I have to believe a certain thing and believe a certain way. And so the very first book I actually read about like the conflict was uh, The Case for Israel. <laughs> I know, was, I remember like, when you said that to me, I was like, wow. <laughs> was, like, the most biased book you can read on the other end. Yeah. And I was like, damn, Palestinians suck. <laughs> this is crazy. I'm like, but this can't be entirely true. And now it's funny because the author is obviously like, he was like a defendant of like the state of Israel. He's like their lawyer for God's sake. And it's like, well, this is not the best book to start with. I've even like told some of my Jewish friends are like, well, that's not really a vice book. I'm like, no, for sure. But that's where I started. Yeah. Just to the point that I want to understand where everyone is getting their information from, what they're feeling. And I think it's so funny that that was the first book you read because it just also shows how much high tolerance you have for like examining, you know. Yeah. what is true what has been taught yeah yeah and it's and it's not that there's like one true thing I mean truly I think the deeper you get into that rabbit hole the more you realize and that's the thing is like all these activists on on any side try to make it seem so black and white like oh this is a really simple issue this is what it is this you know we were here first this is what happened this is what it is and it's like yeah when you try to simplify things you know some things can be simple but this is not what this is not one of them Mm -hmm. and the reason is emotion is always involved yeah and also multiple truths exist 
Like that's also true. So that's again, back to the yes and, and like the both and, there absolutely are multiple realities happening at the same time because it is all subjective. There are different perspectives. And how do we reconcile all those things? Yeah. And I'm not trying to, you know, do this thing of like, oh, this is a symmetrical conflict. It's not that at all. That's not what I'm saying. I'm just saying on an emotional yeah. level and also on a on some historical on a historical level, um, there are multiple truths. Mm-hmm. It's just who's going to be brave enough to like acknowledge some truth and kind of own up, you know, to certain to certain things. And I feel like the superior power, sh- you know, should be the one who's doing that first like it should never be the victim who's expected to like have the burden of like rising up and you know be you know being the courageous ones palestinians are in the present day like the inferior yeah group yeah from a power perspective yeah definitely um yeah i think i think it's really it's a really hard thing because it's on the one hand there is this lens around acknowledging the multiple truths, acknowledging trauma, acknowledging healing, all these different things. Mm-hmm. And there's also like, okay, a very intense political reality um, that has, yeah, very severe oppression mm-hmm. of Palestinians. And it's like, it's just so hard because I think especially in the activist justice space, sometimes the way to deal with, you know, like really intense cycles of violence is to be like no we have to fight back this is wrong this is you know which is 100 percent true and it's also one of the things that's tricky about that is that we have to kind of work with people's experience and like what you said with their emotional process like there's no way to circumvent that yeah um and that's a very hard thing like holding both like holding both like okay what is justice and what is injustice and how do we have clarity and understanding of that in a real way mm-hmm. and how do we also understand well how did we get here and mm-hmm. how do we understand people's process and you know most people most people yeah are just coming from whatever conditioning that they're coming from mm-hmm. um and that curiosity that you have you know I, I feel like it's rare I think that there aren't that yeah, I think that's such a beautiful quality, you know, and and for me that comes from a, being a spiritual seeker, you know, mm-hmm. when you're like, I want to know more about the world, I want to know more about the person that was deemed an enemy for me, like right. what's going on there, you know, even study the case of Israel just to know, which I think is still yeah, so and funny. That was the beginning, <laughs> <laughs> a lot more came after that, yeah, and like still does, like it's still honestly a learning process, not necessarily, it's not gonna change my perspective necessarily but you get more nuance and I think it builds empathy too I mean mm-hmm. it's for for both sides and it's it doesn't make me like less of a quote-unquote like fighter for like you know Palestinian justice and like rights however there's empathy that is also necessary um, in the conversation you know for the history of why this happened and like where Jews come from and the sovereignty that they very much deserved I think there's just an acknowledgement that's necessary where it's like yes we know what we maybe like the the roots were cynical of like the founding of you know Israel but it was just a necessary thing in essence like I feel like that's sometimes just an acknowledgement like you know when like when you fight with a friend and like you hit them in the face you can't take that back it's like if you broke their nose (laughs) you can't take that back however if you continue to double down on saying, well, I didn't do it, or you deserved it, or whatever, versus like, I'm sorry, right? You can't take it back. However, yeah. you acknowledged it. 
there's a first step in like a bigger truth and reconciliation yeah. process is let's be honest yeah about what happened yeah exactly just like being honest that that's what it was like we understand that the again the founding you know of, of everything and the thing is whether people are willfully ignorant or are truly ignorant i don't know like i i'm not entirely sure if people just truly have the wrong information i don't think that's what it's like it's out there yeah again if you're curious and you want it i mean i'll list like 20 books right now that you can go through you know like just the, the denial yeah, give of, us like, a better recommendation than the case of israel <laughs> yeah i mean i do not recommend the case of israel but i mean there's like a whole book about like palestinian history like four thousand year history and how palestinians did exist like this narrative that like they didn't have their own cultural identity i mean maybe they didn't have their own or national identity up until like relatively more recently but you can't say that an entire people you know d- didn't exist you're actually literally denying someone's like existence how do you expect to have a conversation with people that don't exist yeah. apparently like with a ghost yeah okay <laughs> yeah well that doesn't make any sense um so yeah i went a bit of a tangent I'm yeah no that's okay i love the tangents <laughs> but there's a like back to the element of fear because it's like when you say that like curiosity is is like maybe rare i think curiosity has to come from a place of relative peace i mean again i'm definitely not at peace always and i have like fear often about like different things but just like recognizing that that's what's coming up like recognizing Mm. that well i'm not listening to this narrative right now because i'm actually afraid yeah and there are things to be if there are very tangible things that like jewish people are afraid of and it's not imagined you know it's not an imagined fear there are things in history that obviously happened that created that and that it's 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 warranted it's a warranted and validated fear however is it being projected in the wrong direction yeah. and the answer is yes right, of course. <laughs> the answer is yes and then now you have a situation that's like 75 years old that has almost become like a self-fulfilling prophecy in a way where yeah. it's like okay well now you're going to be afraid of each other because this conflict that these you know this, these leaders told you existed for millennia it didn't really exist for millennia like sure there was like always like tribal infighting that shit always happens it even happens amongst like you know muslim communities it happens everywhere it happens in your family <laughs> happens, I mean, that, that is it's like being not being human to say that communities yeah. are not going to try to like you know take each other out when they feel threatened <laughs> you know and like the power is shifting or whatnot so of course that, that happened but it wasn't some like systemic thing and again i don't want to deny people's truths because I also understand that Jews lived in the Middle East, not as like equal, you know, like citizens entirely. But like being like Muslim was also forced upon Palestinians. Because like Palestinians like come from like a Christian lineage. There are Palestinians that were Jews and then some that converted to Islam. So I feel like there's like this convolution between like Islam and Palestine where like Islam was also forced or brought or whatever you want to call it, like onto Palestinians. So it's not like that's what, caused the issue just for you know like jewish people like islamism was something that came to their region as almost like a political power mm. and it was everybody that was there that was impacted whether you're jewish or secular or whatever it was or like pagan at the time whatever it might have been um and so to like kind of pit these groups against each other like jewish and muslim it's like that's not really historically accurate yeah yeah and I feel like a lot of my Palestinian Muslim friends you know will always be like well I know my ancestors were Jewish you know Mm -hmm. because so it's just like so much of that shared lineage is just undeniable Mm -hmm. um so it's just yeah for me I've at least 
it feels really funny when we get into these conversations around making it about identity mm-hmm. as opposed to making it about the power and the colonial oppressive regime and the way that that functions and you know I think it's really harmful when you get into this place where like well Jews are this or Palestinians are this or you know because there's nothing intrinsic about that identity that makes you act a certain way it's yeah. it's basically just conditions of reality so how do we break away from this way of just talking about politics through the lens of identity and more talking about it through the lens of justice issues and obviously identity is part of that but Mm. you know like yeah I think that's kind of like this complicated playground Mm. yeah and I think Jewish people more than anybody know how harmful that is right it's like historically just these like tropes that end up making the communities they live amongst like fearful yeah and like all the bullshit that was spread in order to make to like in essence scapegoat i mean that's really when you when you read history and figure out what's happening like within the jewish community and wherever they were that's what was happening it was a scapegoat yeah and it is really hard moment to be in where you just you know as a jewish person i feel like I, I can see that and I obviously lived that Jewish history in, in so many ways and especially as an Arab Jew but then it's like you see how so much of that trauma is being transferred onto Palestinians mm-hmm. and then Palestinians almost have to have this very historical Jewish experience mm-hmm. and it's like okay well when did that cycle stop and why, why is all that trauma now being kind of dumped on Palestinians and um yeah, so I mean, yeah, we're, now we're kind of in this. <laughs> we got into that. It's way, not but... perceived that way, I guess. Yeah. It's like you're, you know, you're articulating it that way. I would also probably articulate it that way, but that's not how a lot of people would see it. They're like, what are you talking about? That's not what happened. You know, there was a war. Yeah. And, you know, we came and like we just won the war and that Palestinians historically, Muslim Palestinians didn't want us, you know, to be there. They didn't want to share the land. And so then you have all these like narratives of like, well, that's actually what's true. What are you talking about? yeah that's that's crazy what is what does trauma have to do with it and it is it is interesting i mean i feel like we were kind of talking about this before about that level of propaganda Mm -hmm. that is fed onto people and people really just believe in that until they meet someone of a different identity that Mm -hmm. kind of questions it for them Mm -hmm. and just that role of relationships Mm -hmm. and how important that is but I feel like for me, one of the things that I feel really lucky in is that I have such a diverse community. Mm-hmm. And I think that diversity is what allows me to think yeah. in clearer ways, mm-hmm. you know, and especially, yeah, in the Menamina region, it's yeah. like, there's so many histories and mm-hmm. I'm all the time learning about different groups of people and different mm-hmm. tribes. And I mean, even just within Palestine, but obviously within the whole region. Yeah. Um, and so many, so much has been erased, so much has been lost and, you know, to come out and just to say, like, well, I know what's true because I read this book. It's not even kind of crazy. I wish people would read a book and say, I know what's up. It's like they read, like, <laughs> a post or forget Instagram. It was just, like, where do people get their, when it's propaganda, it's like, where do people get their propaganda from? Yeah. I mean, I don't know. There must be some, like, source because all of a sudden you kind of see, like, a a group. There's, like, an enmeshment and there's, like, a group thing happening. And it's, like, everyone's clearly reading the same source and there's like a unity obviously there's like power and like numbers and like that unity and i think that's also a, you know a, a strategy yeah to like all think the same because there's like a power in that and i'm sure that gets people to a certain extent like it gets you somewhere however 
in order to like transcend and actually be able to get past that point, you'd have to actually start like breaking that enmeshment and like kind of thinking for oneself and feeling safe enough to do that. And I think we have to like create space for one another. It's like, I can't expect you to feel safe if I didn't, not, not me personally, but like around you, like when you say yeah. amongst your community. And so you obviously have enough diversity around you whether they're palestinian muslim i know you have such a beautiful community because you've invited me you know many times into your gorgeous uh gatherings and it just feels very supportive and then you're actually able to like expand that energy yeah. rather than this like other energy and that's something i was becoming afraid of like even like like personally for my own self i wasn't in that community and it wasn't until really i met you that i was able to like almost believe and like have hope again because it's like oh. wow it's such a single-minded narrative that i'm seeing and i just felt so like like alone and especially when you have friends that have that narrative that are unwilling or whatever it might be there's like yeah. there's never questions that are asked it's always just like statements and like so much defensiveness and it's like i just want to engage in that because it's so draining yeah because it's like if i'm gonna have if I'm, if I'm gonna be in the world and trying to do like my thing and just bring something that's actually productive and beautiful into the world i can't get stuck in that energy of like tit for tat and like just ego battles yeah in essence and so i'm grateful to you know continue to like har harvest <laughs> and like harness that energy which is more loving mm -hmm. and, and and i'm not saying it in a way that's like oh kumbaya <laughs> you know we're just talking about and like being yeah. ignorant of reality it's actually a very brave space to be in for anybody because we see the reality and yet we still have hope. It's not that we're ignorant of the reality or like, you know, right. we're not in tune with it. It's like, oh no, we, we like, I actually have no idea how anything would get solved. I really do not know. However, there's always this, like optimism. Yeah. And it's like that, that I try to maintain. And it is for me, at least it's kind of that embodiment of what it is that you want to see in the world. Mm -hmm. And right. we are speaking about the gatherings and I just remember my Hanukkah party this year mm -hmm. which you were at and I, I remember having this moment where I was like wow I think this is how my grandparents and my ancestors lived yeah. around that multi-religiosity and there was people you know a lot of men of people but like from so many different identities and mm -hmm. backgrounds and having so many Muslim people there it's like getting to share holidays and celebrations mm -hmm. and to create that community where it can be safe mm -hmm. and we're not avoiding talking about politics but we're not also allowing the trauma to suffocate our relationships mm -hmm. um i feel like that's part of what i've been trying to create and it's you know obviously a lot of challenges because there's a lot of trauma and there's a lot of fear and there's a lot of like well, i don't know you know for a lot of people especially in la like especially in the arab community and mm -hmm. you know their first jewish friends and mm -hmm. you know and, and i think that was also something that was so interesting to me meeting you because mm -hmm. i was like wow like yeah you're so in jewish community <laughs> i was a little bit shocked honestly because i was like yeah because i was like wow like you have because you know and there there is a lot of zionism in those spaces and just that you are putting yourself in situations where some things are being said that are like really violent and really hurtful mm -hmm. and um yeah and just yeah like i don't know honestly it made me so sad and i think that was a trend that i've kind of began to see mm. and hopefully i'll articulate this well but because i feel like i've been in a lot of like anti-zionist jewish community for a while mm. but then one of the things that i realized is that there was 
a lot of, especially in the American anti-Zionist Jewish community, they weren't as connected to Palestinians. They didn't have as much relationships. Mm -hmm. But then when I would meet like Palestinians, they would actually have, who have relationship with Jews, the relationships that they had were like with very Zionist Jews. And I was like, wait, 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 what's happening here? Like, you know, um, so, so I think that's like, okay, well, how do we still acknowledge like as you said before the political mm -hmm. realities and come from that place of holding space for experience mm -hmm. and deepen into that relationship where it really can be safe mm -hmm. um and i know like yeah i mean this is kind of something that we talked about i think right before we started recording in this podcast around um dating and relationships mm -hmm. and i know you've dated jewish men mm -hmm. <laughs> and we were talking just about how some people like that healing that mm -hmm. can maybe happen in those spaces where yeah. there is that trauma yeah yeah and i don't know if you want to share a little bit more about that as well yeah i mean i feel like it can be a double-edged sword in, in a way where it's like um i think some healing can occur because you feel a sort of, sort of acceptance um it's weird it's like a validation from this one person because you feel like the entire conflict is like embodied yeah <laughs> in this relationship it's a lot of pressure <laughs> it's a lot totally yeah and whether it's like yeah like a relationship a friendship like whatever that might be it's like oh wow like it means you know if if we love each other if we can harness this friendship it means that like world peace is possible and honestly to a certain extent i like do believe it yeah. i mean I, I do like even you know you're talking about like friendships that even are more like zionist based it's like well, they're not Zionist-based friendships. It's not like we talk about that necessarily, or that's not what it's like, what the substance is. However, they're people. And like being able to actually connect on the human level where it's like, wow, aside from that thing, we're like family, mm -hmm. you know? And so being able to connect like that and then just trying to figure out what that switch is that takes you from having such an ideology that almost denies you know like I felt like you know I, like my existence was being denied because of that ideology yet I felt accepted in so many other ways so there's also this paradox like within that space yeah yet when you get together and you gather and you laugh and you just you know have a beautiful time and like again you build that like positive you know positive energy I'm going to sound so like just airy fairy I, I don't really mean to just kind of stay in positive energy but it's it's good feeling yeah the embodiment that you were talking about earlier that feels very hopeful because mm -hmm. it's like we don't actually have control over in reality we're having these beautiful conversations and it's important and is that really going to directly impact anything I don't know maybe on like a quantum mechanics <laughs> level it might eventually I do believe that those things are connected however not in a practical way like immediately and so I think the healing happens because again of that possibility that mm -hmm. you feel like there is hope and there is possibility and it at least keeps the heart open yeah. and like conversations going. And there's always like potential. There's always potential. Yeah. Which I think that is the most sacred thing we can do is keep the heart open. Mm -hmm. And we have such beautiful, you know, I'm just also struck that we are recording this podcast, right? Um, when Ramadan is about to begin and this year Ramadan and Passover overlapping, um, you know, the biggest... <laughs> holiday in islam and the biggest holiday in judaism are sharing time together yeah. <laughs> and that multi-religious spirit which you know as 
as you were saying, it's actually there is so much acceptance there when there is that friendship and that relationship mm-hmm. and that beauty. Mm-hmm. Um, I actually, you know, for our, for that Hanukkah gathering, you got me this book, The 40 Rules of Love, which mm-hmm. is all about um, Sufi love. And I absolutely loved it. And I remember when you gave it to me, I was like, this is a perfect Hanukkah gift. Because <laughs> I just That's felt so, so alive. <laughs> It just felt really aligned. I was yeah. like, yeah, because when you're coming from that place where this is about devotion, this is about healing, this is about spirituality, this is about the heart being open, mm-hmm. um, it makes sense that there's all these intersections and then each religion is just beautified by the other one. Yeah, yeah and not being dogmatic about it because it's like at the end of the day, if you really had to like break things down, it's like everything comes from something else. You know, it's like, you know islam you could say we were either inspired by judaism or we appropriated depending on who you talk to <laughs> you'll you'll hear different narratives and that that's fine i mean it's all it's all acceptable um but then it's like okay but like judaism also started from something else where mm-hmm. it's like it also borrowed certain concepts and ideas and it's fine that's the thing about like evolution yeah. creativity and just humans wanting to find meaning in yeah. life i mean that's what it is like I contemplate this question a lot is like does meaning does life innately have meaning or do we apply meaning to it in order mm. for us to like is there a survival mechanism and I mean it probably is a survival mechanism because I don't think the universe really has intention or like cares necessarily it seems like it's yeah. a benevolent process where for billions of years it's just been doing its thing and then like we just got here you know, as humans, and so it just continues to do its thing. But then as humans, like, to survive, we had to create all these tools, and one of them was religion, to, like, create meaning and, like, have answers so we don't, we're not just, like, these floating bodies, like, freaking out. Yeah, we're not consumed by fear all the time. Yeah, yeah, yet, yet, ironically, it's also caused so much, you know, like, fear and, like, dogma. So I think just your spirit is so open to the spiritual aspect of what that is, of, like, oh, okay, we're all looking for that connection to whatever you want to you know call it universe god creation and there are different tools to do that and some people don't even require tools like you know i think for me having grown up in a muslim society there's a lot there that i can appreciate and at the same time i can connect directly to my you know creator and like this like magic of the universe and how it came to be without excluding others i mean i can do that you know a lot of people like can't and and you can do that and I think that's why you accepted that book you know about Sufi love for as a Hanukkah gift because you accepted like the intention of it and like the energy of it and like the more kind of global universal meaning of it mm-hmm. yeah I want to ask you about one of your biggest gifts and offerings to the world which is magic dates magic dates my baby <laughs> sorry my neck is I've been like staring at your beautiful face <laughs> I know I'm also getting so it's so beautiful to be here in your beautiful home but um yeah you started this amazing company that is about and and that way around sharing that hospitality and sharing mm-hmm. that love through through dates through yeah. magic dates yeah <laughs> well yes I mean dates are just such an incredible I mean I actually fell in love with dates even more after starting the company it's just one of those things that I mean, think of something you grew up with. You take it for granted. And yeah. Like dates is just another fruit. However, it's somehow not. I mean, just all the varieties. There are over 60 varieties of dates. You can't say that about bananas or apples or anything else. Really? Apples? You can't say that? Maybe five or six or seven or eight, you know, <laughs> like 60 varieties of dates. Yeah, that's a lot. It's incredible. And again, from our region, from like the MENA region that's shared by 
like everybody, like nobody can appropriate <laughs> the dates. This is not a Jewish Muslim or any next thing. It's just this like beautiful ancient crop that, I mean, they found fossils that are like a million years old of wild date palms growing. Mm -hmm. And then as humans, we domesticated them several thousand years ago in Mesopotamia. And it's just this beautiful sustenance that has been there for our people for thousands of years. Um, and then this palm tree came here to California, like just a little over a hundred years ago because of agricultural explorers. So I love that like poetic aspect of it as well, that it was like a fruit that migrated yeah. in a way, just like we all did. And then ended up thriving here because the environment was hospitable hmm. for it. And I just found it to be the perfect fruit to really symbolize what's possible and like the cultural connections that we can create. And also to like speak about the, our region where we come from, because there's so much wisdom against speaking about like Sufism and Judaism and, you know, Islam, Christianity. I mean, they all came from there. The poetry, the science, I mean, the science, the arts, it all started there. The beauty, the, the I mean, just so much gorgeousness that just gets lost in the narrative of, of politics um, and this very like, you know, singular lens, I feel like mm -hmm. here in, in the West, in the U.S., like specifically because we live here. Uh, so yeah, just sharing more about like my culture and using that as a tool to do that. I love that. And dates are quite magical. It's true. <laughs> I really think of dates as being also very quite romantic. Also, there's something about them that's so really. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. It's just it's yeah. They're so ritualistic. I think maybe Rit that's what it is. They're ritualistic. Yeah. They're they're special. Yeah. And actually, I you know I gifted. I have a healer who lives in California, and I gifted her some dates from Jerusalem one time mm -hmm. and she was like okay like I want to compare she's an energy healer so mm -hmm. she wanted to compare the date from Jerusalem and the date from California because oh, yeah? she can feel the stories of the people who are planting the dates so she was like wanting to have an embodied reality around the how the dates are carrying the stories differently yeah and one of the things she said about the Jerusalem dates is just like these and I because and I thought of you because this is so much of your branding it's yeah. like they're so nutrition dense yeah, they're not meant as like a dessert, which yeah. maybe sometimes in the West people are like, oh, okay, dessert. But yeah. they're actually, it's like you're hiking and you need a date yeah. <laughs> and yeah. it fills you up. Yeah. And, and you're out in the desert and you need sustenance because it was a hot day. And like, there's something about the fullness mm -hmm. of the nutrition. Mm -hmm. That's maybe why I think it's like, yeah, this poetic romantic thing, because yeah. it also comes from the desert, which is so sacred in so many ways but where you're like you're needing mm -hmm. nourishment and here comes this like luscious beautiful yeah. full rich date <laughs> and how amazing it is that like dates grow in an environment where like you do need that kind of nutrition like we didn't create that humans didn't create that it just in this perfect creation that you're in this you know desolate dry you know space where you need um electrolytes mm -hmm. and that's what dates has a lot of like it has more potassium than you know to kind of get like a little bit more like technical but it has like twice as much or 50 percent more potassium than bananas do oh wow and damn really hating on bananas today <laughs> i know i love bananas though They're, i put them I all the time but i mean there's like three kinds of bananas i don't know there's like little bananas and then brown bananas it's and true bananas. right like, right i'm not a banana girl okay i'm the date girl <laughs> you gotta get a banana girl on here <laughs> to fight for the bananas <laughs> Oh my god um yeah so like absolutely the micronutrients like the minerals that are in the days yeah. the sugar you know like sugar has become so vilified but it's like the most fundamental um micronutrient that macronutrient that we need that our mm. brain needs to like function 
what's important is just like what packaging does it come in and this date is just packaged so perfectly because it has the fibers and the micronutrients and there's like this theory that fruits are sweet so that we can't so that we would eat them so that we can mm. get the nutrients that we need um you know oh, to, to give our bodies so it's kind of like a way to like attract us to eat more of them seduce us maybe yeah <laughs> with their sweet nectar <laughs> <laughs> i love that um and if people want to find out more about magic dates or maybe how to order a date flight which i love those date flights i think they're so beautiful how do they find out about yeah we're online where you can't miss us <laughs> it's like magic dates bites.com or on instagram as well uh, magic dates bites um tiktok just everywhere just google us and you'll you'll find us <laughs> cool. amazing i love that is there anything else we didn't get to in this podcast that you would like to share share with me share with our audience i feel like we i would need another episode <laughs> <laughs> to get into things that we haven't potentially gotten into i mean i'm excited for our shabbat iftar mm-hmm. that we're planning which is i get so excited like when you told me that i was like wait what because I feel like I've dreamt about this, like not this particular event, but just this idea of like co-creating, co-existing, co-sharing and like accepting another culture. I love celebrating the rituals of your culture and your religion and then like allowing that to be part of like iftar as well during Ramadan. I think it's so sacred and special. So I'm really excited for that during Ramadan for us. Yeah, same. I know. I think it's so special because it's the perfect thing, you know, Shabbat and Iftar yeah. just makes sense. We're, we're having dinner. <laughs> food. Yeah. That's the thing about, I mean, food for, like for me, one of the first things I learned how to do when I moved to LA was cook. Mm. And it always felt like a really like low barrier way to connect with people. Um, you can always find commonality over food. And you're an amazing cook, so. I'm pretty, I'm pretty decent. I feel blessed to have gotten to eat a lot of your. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. Because I love to eat. Honestly, it was mainly because I'm like, I need to be able to make all my mom's like Arabic dishes. Because yeah. otherwise I'm going to starve to death here. Because <laughs> I like, I can't eat like out all the time. I, it's yeah. because I love to eat. So I'm like, I have to be able to make these things. Right. So I feel like true chefs are always foodies. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. <well>. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> yeah. So true. Thank you for having me. It was such a nice chat. Yeah, thank mm-hmm. you. Thank you for having me in your home. Thank you for feeding me dinner, which we're going to have as our celebration. Yeah. Um, yeah, this beautiful, beautiful home. I absolutely <laughs> love this couch and the doors and the way that you've decorated it all. Um, but also, yeah, I'm so blessed to know you and to um, and for our friendship, really, and to continue deepening and to continue sharing of our traditions and of our hearts, really, because I think that is, you know, when we learn how to turn towards one another mm-hmm. and open our hearts and, and, and learn what stories you carry, what stories I carry, and that they're not threatening you know there's actually something that can yeah. be uniting there yeah. um that is such a that that to me is the healing um so thank it's you antidote to fear exactly yeah yeah it really is. i love you thank i you. love you too and i think this is also yeah i love that sorry now i'm like now i need a whole other episode because <laughs> it is true there's so much about fear that needs to be dissected around yeah you know because you can't just tell someone who's scared like oh don't be scared no it's not gonna work yeah. you have to actually get with their experience around like why are they scared what's happening in their bodies yeah. what's happening in the well fear is a defense i mean fear is like an innate like quality you know quality and like response that actually is meant for survival so it's not something to be suppressed it's something to be addressed mm. so like for it's good line <laughs> i love that address and also don't let it dominate your whole existence because there's always 
other voices. There's an intuitive voice. There's a joyful voice. There's a curiosity voice, you know? So it's like, how do we also not just focus on the fear that is there, but Mm -hmm. what are some of the other qualities that can help Mm -hmm. shed the light? Yeah. Transmute transmute that fear yeah yeah and that that would be addressing it right it's like how can you like change this this feeling and the sensation into something else and i think it is through these relationships Mm. i mean it really is like knowing more learning more being more open and you're like okay maybe i don't have as much to be afraid of yeah as i thought yeah part two part two (laughs) love it we need these trauma therapists on here (laughs) (laughs) exactly Well, thank you so much again. Such an honor and blessing to have you. I love you. Thank you for having me. I love you too, dear.